Please turn now in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 22. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 19. As you're turning there, let me take a moment to say thank you so much for your kindness to us, your hospitality, all the work, especially for those of in the search committee. They've been working very hard uh, for a long time and, and having to deal with me and others. And um, I, I want to express my sincere thanks to everyone uh, this weekend for allowing us to be here and making us feel so welcome. Let us pray. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes that we might see wonderful things in your law and that you would give us ears to hear what your spirit says to the church. In Jesus' name, amen. 4,000 years ago, God made a promise to Abraham saying, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply you. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. 2,000 years later, the Son of God sealed that promise with his own blood. And he said, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. 2,000 more years later and thousands of miles away, here you are today in Mount Pleasant. The children of Abraham, the church that Jesus Christ has built. Each one of you living proof that God keeps his promises. But God has also ordained our lives in such a way in his kindness and his grace to us that there are times that we cannot see how he keeps those promises. If you look back over your life, over church history, over the Bible, you see a mountain of evidence that he is faithful, that he is trustworthy, but he makes it such in our lives that there are times when we cannot understand how it would be possible for him to fulfill his promises. He, he's done this for us in such a way so that we learn to trust God in the darkness Because if everything always went the way you wanted, you would never truly understand what it means to deny yourselves, to take up your crosses, and to follow him. Well, our passage this morning is one such instance. Perhaps the most amazing test of faith in the Old Testament is the painful story of a father who was called to sacrifice his beloved son, his only son. And now this passage is probably familiar to you. It is perhaps the most vivid picture in the Old Testament of the atoning death of Jesus Christ. Please give it your attention as I read Genesis 22. This is God's word. After these things, God tested Abraham And said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, 
take your son, your only son, Isaac, who you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said, to this day on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore, and your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham lived at Beersheba. This is God's word. Now it is difficult for us to imagine ourselves in Abraham's sandals. He is well more than a hundred years old when God tests him here. Now you might think that Abraham would be used to testing for by now, for God has been testing him for a long time and shown himself to be faithful every step of the way. 
God had called Abraham out of his homeland and from his relative's house when he was 75 years old to go to a land which he would show him. So Abraham left at 75 years old, not even knowing where he was going to. And his whole life since then had been a life of faith. But this, no doubt, was Abraham's greatest test yet. The greatest trial of Abraham's faith. The greatest triumph of Abraham's faith. And as we will see, the greatest show to Abraham thus far that God is trustworthy. See, God had promised to make him the father of many nations and that his descendants would multiply and be as as innumerable as the stars in the sky. God even had his name changed to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. But as our passage begins, this old man and his old wife have only one son, Isaac. There was actually another, Ishmael, who was born to Abraham by Sarah's maid, his wife's maid. But Ishmael and his mother had been sent out long ago for God's promise was to come specifically through Isaac. Through Isaac, he said, your descendants will be named. Now to human eyes, this seemed impossible. But you see, this is what makes this all the more clearly a work of God. When Abraham was 99 years old, when Sarah was 90 years old, she conceived for the first time and bore the promised son, Isaac. Can you imagine that? This old couple, finally, after all these years, holding their newborn baby boy in their arms. They had laughed. Sarah had laughed in a moment of doubt before. Now they laughed with joy. Can you imagine them coming to church, hanging out with all the newborn moms and dads? You laugh at that. Sarah knew you would. She said, I'll call him Isaac. When everyone hears this, they'll laugh with me. Isaac's name means laughter. It brought them such joy. Now every child is, is a miracle, but Isaac especially so. He was the miracle child, the promised child of Abraham and Sarah, in whose descendants the whole salvation of the world rested. All the promises hung on this child. So you can imagine, at least a little, how especially saddening and shocking it must have been to hear God call to Abraham once again. Abraham, take now your son, your only son, who you love, Isaac, and offer him to me as a burnt offering. That might be the most painful verse to read in the Old Testament. You see how with each line, God is emphasizing the weight of it all, the cost of it all. Take now your son, 
your only son, who you love, Isaac. It almost sounds like he's mocking him. You, Abraham, father of a multitude, kill your only son. Or perhaps it is a reminder of his promise. Because you see, God's promises were clear. Abraham would be the father of a multitude through Isaac. But the command was just as clear. Isaac is to be killed. And how can both of these things be true? It wouldn't have been such a dilemma for his faith if he had to offer himself, if he had to offer his wife, if he had to offer Ishmael. But the promises were through Isaac. How? How could God's promises possibly come true if Isaac dies? So it was a test of faith, you see. You too will encounter trials and difficulties and disappointments in life that you won't understand. You won't see how it's possible that God can make all this turn out for your good, to the the good of those who love him. But what God is doing in your life, he could, uh, he could say to you, as he said to Peter, what I'm doing now, you don't understand. But you will understand hereafter. God will use everything for our good, the good of those who love him. And it's especially in those moments when you don't understand how it's possible. It's especially in those moments where we're called to walk by faith clinging to those, those promises, no matter how hard our circumstances might be. Those are the very moments when you have the chance to exercise your faith, when you don't understand. Now, this command was also shocking, not simply because it was Isaac, but more generally because God was commanding human sacrifice. It's shocking to us today. It would have been just as shocking to the Israelites who read this in the Old Testament. For they know that God hates human sacrifice. The Canaanites were going to be wiped out partly for this reason. Nowhere else does God command human sacrifice. In fact, he's always against it. He says that he hates it. So why is he doing it here? Here, he's showing how costly the sacrifice that we need must really be because it is impossible for the blood of mere goats and bulls to take away sin. One day there would have to be a better sacrifice than that, a human sacrifice. Now, but however saddening and shocking and confusing all this must have been to Abraham, he obeyed. Isn't it amazing? The author of Hebrews would commend this faith of Abraham as evidenced by his obedience. James would command his obedience as would commend his obedience as proof of his faith. Both the New Testament holds up both his faith and his obedience to us as extraordinary, as commendable. Notice first, Abraham doesn't hesitate. It says he rose early the next morning. I would have probably at least slept in, 
tried to delay it as much as I could. Abraham rose early, saddled his donkey for the journey, split the wood for the offering. Can you imagine what he must have felt? Every swing of the axe, knowing what that wood was going to burn. Every step of the journey for three days, going towards that awful hill, the place of sacrifice, knowing what was going to happen there. How could he even look Isaac in the eye? What was he thinking about? And yet he set his face there like Christ set his face towards Jerusalem. He did not turn away. It was a persistent obedience. It was about a 50-mile journey from Beersheba to the land of Moriah. No doubt it was the longest walk of Abraham's life. And it came about on the third day, he raised his eyes and he saw the place. He left the two young men with the donkey, told him that the lad would go, him and the lad would go to worship. Imagine that, worshiping before the sacrifice. And he added, we will return to you. Not I will return to you. We will return to you. You see, Abraham must have been thinking along the way how God is going to make this all work out, how God is going to be true. And he came to the conclusion somewhere along the the way that God was going to raise Isaac. Now, it's never happened before. No one had ever been raised from the dead. But God had created the world from nothing. Abraham knew that. God had made a child come from him and his wife when their bodies seemed as good as dead. God can do that. Even from the ashes, raise his child. But God cannot lie. He will not lie. And so this must be what's going to happen. I'm not speculating that much when I... I, Say this, because this is what Hebrews 11 tells us. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, in Isaac, your descendants will be called. He considered that God is able to raise men even from the dead. So Abraham led his son up the mountain like a lamb to the slaughter. Father and son walked together up the mountain. The promised son carried the wood he was to be sacrificed on, on his back. But the knife and the fire were in the father's hands. Father, Isaac said, behold the fire and the knife, the wood, but where's the lamb? And Abraham said, God will provide the lamb, my son. Or perhaps, God will provide the lamb, my son. And they continued on together until they came to God's chosen place. I don't know how this old man bound his son. Perhaps Isaac permitted himself to be bound. Perhaps he too was willing to see God's command through. In any case, Isaac was bound and placed on the wood. And at the last moment, 
with a knife in his hands and no doubt tears in his eyes. God called out to Abraham, 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 do not stretch out your hand against the lad for now I know that you fear God for you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. Remember those words. Now I know for you have not withheld your only son from me. That is what fearing God looks like. That is what obedience looks like, no matter the cost, even when we don't understand how God will work it out. Brothers and sisters, you are not called, thankfully, to sacrifice another for your own sins. You are called to offer yourselves as living sacrifices, dedicated to God, just as much as Isaac was when he was tied up and laid on that altar. You are called to deny yourselves, to take up your crosses, and to follow Christ. It will not be an easy road. You won't always understand why God tests you. But God is using these tests to strengthen us, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So let us also fear the Lord, no matter how we're tested. Let our faith be made evident by our works. Abraham is certainly a wonderful example for us here. But this passage isn't really about Abraham, is it? Abraham did not name this place. Abraham's faith was great. He did not name it. Abraham obeyed. He named it, the Lord will provide. And that is where our attention ought to go when we read this as well, to the Lord's provision. So Abraham doesn't actually have to sacrifice his son. He sees a ram caught in the thicket. God had provided a substitute, a sacrifice in the place of Isaac. And notice, when Abraham names this place, the Lord will provide, he's not thinking about that ram that was in the thicket. He's not saying the Lord provided, but the Lord will provide. And so hundreds of years later, when Moses wrote this, they were still saying this, verse 14, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. God, Abraham was speaking as a prophet, looking to the future. And so it came to pass, 2,000 years later, God provided. You knew I was going to get to Christmas sometime, didn't you? Another miracle child was born. Where is the lamb, Isaac had said. Oh, the joy that he could have had if he had seen John the Baptist pointing, calling, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus Christ, the promised seed of Abraham. For you see, Abraham's son would not have been good enough to pay for Isaac's own sins or for Abraham's sins or anyone else. But God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have 
everlasting life. That is what Christmas is about. This story is a picture of it, a promise of it. And this morning, I want you to consider, as you think about Christmas coming up, Jesus being, Jesus being born. Don't just think about Jesus being born, but Jesus being given. And a father behind it all who loves you so much that he did not withhold his only son. And here in Genesis 22, you can understand Christmas a little bit better from the father's perspective. You see, in this terribly painful command and the terribly painful way in which it was said, God was going to be giving a glimpse of his love for us, the great cost that he would pay, his sacrifice, which was carried out to completion. God sent his son, his only son, who he loves, Jesus, infinitely more valuable, infinitely more costly than Isaac, and sent him as a sacrifice for you. Or did you notice that God did not command Isaac to just sacrifice his son anywhere, but told him specifically to go to the land of Moriah, to a mountain which he will show him. Do you know where Mount Moriah is, brothers and sisters? It is the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. Second Chronicles 3.1 tells us, on Mount Moriah, Solomon built the temple. And it was on a mountain in this area where Isaac was to be sacrificed. And I see little reason to doubt that it was the exact same place on which Jesus was killed. On Golgotha, just outside of Jerusalem. And just as Isaac carried the very wood on which he was to be sacrificed up the mountain, the Lord Jesus carried his cross Jesus carried the cross, you see. He carried the wood. But the knife was in the Father's hand. And they walked on together, as it were. The Father leading his son up that awful hill as an offering, as the offering for sin. My father, where is the lamb? Isaac had said. And Abraham could thankfully say, God will provide a lamb, my son. But when Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There was no answer because there was no substitute. Jesus is the sacrifice and there is no other savior. He is the lamb that God had provided. Brothers and sisters, I hope you don't just read this passage and think that God is cruel calling you to give up great things for him. But rather, think here of what it's pointing to, of what God gave up for us. Think of what God provided. Think of his love. Behold what manner of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Consider, that was the hardest thing God ever did. 
It was the hardest thing ever done. When God created the world, he did it by speaking. To save you, there was much tears, much suffering, much pain. Now, if Abraham had demonstrated beyond any doubt that he feared God because he did not withhold his only son, then how can you now doubt God's love if he did not withhold his only son, but freely gave him up for us all? God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When you are in the darkness, you don't understand how God's promises can come true. When the doctor tells you the cancer is stage four, when you've lost your spouse, and the future seems so uncertain ahead, You don't understand how God could make this work out for your good. Remember what he did. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? There is no greater proof than that. That is your hand holding you, leading you through the darkness leading you through the valley of the shadow of death. That is where your security rests. No greater proof could ever be given than that. Oh, brothers and sisters, all you who have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the Bible says that you are also the children of Abraham. Just like Isaac, Christ took your place on that awful hill, just as much as as if you had been bound up there, laid on the altar. But now we have been raised with him, raised with Christ from death into newness of life. Let us live for him. And let us consider this Christmas season, again, the Father's great love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Let us pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision, our Lord Jesus Christ. We ask that you would give us faith, faith to trust that you are who you are and you will do what you say you will do. In Jesus' name, amen.